Hello and welcome to It's Lit, where all things literary live at the root. I'm Maisha Kai, managing editor of The Glow Up, and today we have the super talented Zakia Dalila Harris on the show, whose debut novel, The Other Black Girl, has been one of the most highly anticipated books of the summer, and with good reason. Zakia's literary thriller is a wild ride that explores the themes of code switching, office politics, trust, and being black in overwhelmingly white workspaces. The story is so juicy, in fact, that it's already been optioned by Hulu to be made into a series, which Zakia is currently writing alongside Rashida Jones. You know, I love this book, uh, not just because it is... <laughs> so familiar in so many ways. But, you know, frankly, sometimes what we know is it be your own people. And I'm so glad we got to talk to Zakia from her apartment in Brooklyn just a few days before the other Black girl dropped. So with that, let's get to the interview. Zakia, welcome to It's Lit. Thank you. I am so excited to be here chatting with you today. You know, I'm excited too. And, you know, it is such a treat to have you and the other Black girl <laughs> with us this week. You know, there is a lot to discuss here in, in your debut novel. But before we get into it, we have a little initiation here <laughs> at It's Lit. Since this is a podcast about Black books and writers, we like to start each episode by asking our guests to name at least one book or piece of writing that has been life-changing or in some way mind-blowing for them, or maybe even compelled you to be a writer. So what was that book or books for you? Yeah, I mean, there are so many, but the first one that comes to mind is Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Um, I read that maybe, I read it pretty late, actually, um, maybe four years ago for the first time. And Oh my God. It's just like so rich. It's a meal. Um, whenever I talk to anybody about, I mean, the black experience, very broad. There are so many great books that really get at all of the nuances and the issues, but Americana just for me, I mean, I was born in America. I wasn't born um, in Nigeria, like the main character, but I felt so connected to her struggle to kind of I don't know, figure out her place in the world in America, um, being in New Haven and just like, yeah, straddling two worlds of her world back in Nigeria and then her world here. And I think I've had a similar experience of like trying to figure out my place uh, as a black woman who was mostly raised around white people for a while. So and the writing, again, is just so gorgeous. You know, I, I love that you point that out because I think, you know, that is. A, a very common experience, you know, yeah. more common than we like to say. I mean, I was raised a portion of my life in the suburbs of Minneapolis, so mm -hmm. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have been the black girl, not even the other black girl, just the black girl, right? <laughs> you know, so just I totally me. get that. Yeah. Yep. Just the, right? <laughs> um, you know, and, and yep. this book. <laughs> Capital T. Ooh, this book. Yes. This book of yours, um, <laughs> which has already garnered, I mean, some pretty major acclaim from none other than, you know, I'm, I'm counting among like Walter Mosley, right? Who we've also mm -hmm. had here on the podcast, who we know is incredibly prolific and he had high praise for yes. this novel. And I got to say, it does not disappoint. Uh, it was described oh, preemptively you. as a, as what get out meets the devil wears Prada. And mm -hmm. I would say that's pretty accurate. <laughs> and like, and like get out, you have already been optioned. This has already been optioned by Hulu, correct? 
Yes. Yeah. I'm still, I still can't believe it. <laughs> I'm still shook about it. I mean, I can, cause it's pretty visual. I was casting it in my mind, but you know, this is such a multi-layered story and you hit on so many truths here. I, I just have to know, you know, I know that like the Devil Wears Prada, you had some experience in this world of publishing. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, what was the, just a little bit, right? What was the genesis of this story for you? Yeah. I mean, there, there are a few things that really inspired me to write this, but the, the one specific moment was a moment I had while I was working and publishing. I was a little more than two years in at the time. And um, I was also starting to think about what I wanted to do. I knew I always wanted to write when I went into publishing, but I also loved editing. I loved working with authors. I loved working with words. But so I had this encounter at work in the bathroom and this other black woman came out of the bathroom stall. And when I say encounter, I mean, we're both in the same space. <laughs> Nothing happened. I feel like looking back on it, I was like, kind of like, you know, we're both here. We're, we're two black women in the bathroom at this place that's very white. Because at the time I was one of two black people and the other black person was a, a male black author who'd been there for years and years. So different, very different worlds. Um, but there was just nothing. I didn't get anything from this woman in the bathroom, which is cool, like no judgment. But I went back to my desk and I just thought about how desperate I was like to have something, some kind of conversation. And again, I don't think it was a, um, anything out of, you know, spite, but it definitely made me think about my own insecurities and my own desires to just meet more black women and meet more black people. Because again, like I said, most of my life, I really didn't have many good black friends or many black friends in general until I got older. And so. So that was like the immediate encounter that inspired the book. And I started writing it at my desk. Um, pretty sure it was on my letterhead that I was supposed to be using for work. And um, I wrote that scene of Nella sitting in her cubicle while I was sitting in my cubicle. And it just came to me in a way that other things that I've written haven't come to me. And I just followed that thread. And a couple months later, I quit and just kept working on it. You know, um, you really, I, I love that you pointed out that that's how this book started. I think that's, that's a wonderful origin story for this. Thank and you. I particularly think because you, uh, at a time when so many of us are out of our offices, you vividly portray office life, right? Mm. Like the, the weird kind of microaggressive dynamics that happen in all offices, mm -hmm. but particularly in these kind of spaces in which we're the minority. Yeah. And yet, and yet you do something I think is pretty daring here. And I love that you do. Um, you know, because I think that we're in a space where, and I was just reading a really brilliant uh, article about this, but <laughs> uh, where we're afraid as, as Black creators, as Black critics, as Black journalists to critique Black people and Black art in an honest way. Yeah, and yeah. the other Black girl dares, dares to make another black person the villain. Right? I know. I still think about this a lot of the time. A lot. And yeah, you know, and, and that was a struggle, I think, with that, um, with the book, I really, I did want to really make sure there was this nuance here. And I didn't want to make it easy for, for readers, white readers or black readers. Um, and with the TV adaptation, that's a similar thing. We really want to make sure there's, there's a nuance because I don't, we don't see black women portrayed in 
genre books, um, or really a lot of fiction um, in certain spaces. And so I really wanted to be careful about that. And it's, it's hard. It's, it's a hard thing to grapple with. Well, yeah, we so we we so rarely get to be the protagonist, let alone the antagonist. <laughs> exactly. But you do do exactly. it with a lot of nuance. You do. You do it with a lot of nuance. And, and I don't think it's as, I mean, I said it very simply, but I don't think it's as cut and dry as she's <laughs> the villain. You know, uh, there there are layers, as they say, to this. And, and you know, just backtracking, <laughs> shout out to Kathleen uh, Newman-Bermang for that amazing article that I read, because I think she really laid it out there in terms of Black criticism and why it's necessary. But, you know, what is so, what I thought was not just daring, but honest about your book is that any of us who has been in that scenario knows that sometimes, as the saying goes, mm. it'd be your own people. Mm. <laughs> it's your mm-hmm. own folks, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, totally. And that's not an indictment of other Black people. It's an indictment of how supremacy works and how patriarchy works and how exactly we have to juxtapose ourselves and adapt and shapeshift um yes yes <laughs> which you know you do rather effectively here shapeshift to fit ourselves into spaces that we and we casually call it and and your character casually calls it code switching right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but what you did here i think <laughs> is uh really deeply illustrate the dangers of of not being able to show up as our as our full selves was that was that a goal here or was that something that evolved in the process of writing it yeah i mean it definitely evolved i so like i said when i started i really had this vision of hazel and nella working in a very white workplace and it's just weird like everything's weird about their relationship their interactions nella is always thinking about everything that they talk about and how hazel reacts but then, yeah, exactly like you said. I mean, the more I imagined these characters and kept writing, I was like, okay, there's more to this. There's more to this than just Nella's anxieties and her insecurities about her blackness. Like, this goes to this space. Like, who's watching makes a huge difference on how Nella's going to respond to something, um, how Nella's going to perceive something. And so, so yeah, I really wanted to show that. And just really give readers a sense of how uncomfortable it can be to have to to bend yourself, to make yourself fit into these worlds. And, you know, Nella has, of course, this this full life outside of work, but it's constantly competing with this need to, you know, always read all the things, always edit all the things, stay up to date on all the news, no matter how depressing or upsetting it can be, especially for a Black person, because I think that's a real thing, just trying to navigate, like, okay, how much can I take in order to function and in order to succeed? And so that push-pull has always been interesting to me as a Black person, as a creative Black person, and it's something I know goes back generations and generations and generations. Um, So I really wanted to, yeah, just explore that. Yeah, well, I mean, it definitely speaks to this idea of safe spaces and are there any for yeah. us? Yeah. Right? Um, are there ever any? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Where is our soft place <laughs> to fall, even in the workplace, you know, and, and all these and the perfectionism, obviously, that goes with that. You know, we are yes. expected to be perfect and we're expected to be perfect, not just for ourselves, but to represent everybody else who can't make it in, you know, everybody else right. who might make it in. And, and yes, our, our emotional output is relegated to bathroom stalls sometimes, you know, we're, yep. we're told, you know, <laughs> as women, we're told we don't cry at work, right? You're not allowed to have right. emotion at work. But as Black women, uh, I think in particular, 
there is this push to be a certain way, a certain, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. And that's, I think that's in all kinds of professional spaces. You know, we're afraid of being too angry. We're afraid of being too vocal. We're afraid of, you know, all the things that Nella's pushing up against here. Now I am curious, uh, and this is just me. This is just me as a, as an avid reader. And I know you are one too. Um, mm-hmm. where did these names come from, from you? Cause I felt like there's a lot of evocative <laughs> stuff happening with some of these names and I, they definitely brought up images and other texts for me, but I was yeah. curious to know if that was an intentional thing for you. <laughs> um, you know, not quite. I mean, so Nella, Nella, I will say, um, I had started passing at the time. I, a few, maybe like a few weeks before I started writing this book. Um, and yeah, so, so Nella comes from Nella Larson, the author of Passing. Um, all of that, that tension, that subtext in that book, mm-hmm. um, the mm-hmm. conversation about like, you know, I mean, they're both able to pass these two black women. And I felt like they're straddling these worlds was very similar to, I mean, my own experiences, even though I'm not <laughs> passing, but, I pass in other ways. And so in terms of the way I speak, the way I dress. So that definitely inspired Nella's name. Malika, it's funny. I changed everyone's names. Well, not everyone's names, but Malika was a different, more American sounding name before. And my dad read the book very early. And as my dad always does, he, he makes little comments about like, you know, you should do this. Like, maybe you should like do that. And like, Sometimes I listen. Most of the time, I'm like, I'm not changing the ending. Like, this is how it's got to be. But he mentioned, you know, you don't have any Swahili names or like other. And my name is Swahili, um, Zakia. And he named me and my older sister Swahili names to that. He was just Mm -hmm. very much wanted to have that, that in his family, in our family. So, so yeah, I, I, I think I went through names. I love the letter M. Um, my two little sisters' names start with M's. Um, and so, yeah, I found and found Malika, and I just loved it. There was something also musical about it. Um, and I do love again Swahili names, and and so so that's where that one came from. Diana, I definitely was, I think, channeling Diana Ross <laughs> energy in a lot of ways. A kind of, I mean, I I thought diva and. I've just always, like, also really appreciated Diana Ross and what she's represented. So, so the stories behind the other names aren't as interesting, but <laughs> Nella, Nella is one of my favorite names now. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You know, I, um, <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. I, our listeners will know that I am mildly obsessed with passing and always have been. Mm. Um, you know, when I get asked that question about books that changed my life, it's always Toni Morrison's Sula. Yes. Ugh. And Nella Larson's Passing, which in, in 
two ways explore this dynamic between women, yes. between Black women, mm-hmm. uh, in two very different but deeply provocative, deeply sensual, deeply disturbing yeah. <laughs> ways. Yes. Yes. And you do the same, and I, I have to applaud you for doing the same because I don't know that those those nuances often get explored. And you also have a book within a book here, right? Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you you did a lot coming World out the building. gate. You know. <laughs> yes, yes. You have a book within a book that really speaks, I think, to the Black feminist pr- tradition. Yes. Um, yeah. As we know it. And why was that important for you to include? Yeah, I mean, Burning Heart was, I think for me, so the story is essentially about, a Burning Heart's about a young Black woman who lived a very sheltered life and then she gets involved with the Black Panther Party and she's radicalized. And that was really important for me because, I mean, first of all, like, I I feel like I had my own kind of like radicalization happen when I first moved to Brooklyn in 2015, 2016. Brooklyn will do it. Yeah. (laughs) Being exactly (laughs) like the vibes, the energy. And then, you know, Eric Garner was happening at the time. I just started my MFA program. I was doing a lot of nonfiction reading because I did my nonfiction, uh, got my nonfiction degree from there. And so I was really interested in that kind of aspect of someone who has lived under, under a rock for a while <laughs> to be frank, and then suddenly gets swept up into this, this movement. So I really wanted that to be the thing that, uh, Nella often looks back to. So, so Burning Heart, I'll add, was written in the 80s and published by Wagner Books um, by Kendra Ray, who was an editor at Wagner, and then Diana, who wrote the book, who is a best-selling author, Black author. And the fact that this book was written and edited by two Black women is groundbreaking for Nella. And I know for me, that would be groundbreaking as well, especially working in publishing and knowing how few, how, how infrequently that happens, right? So... I wanted that. I also think for a lot of Black people, a lot of Black women, I mean, we look back on these these beacons. Um, those are often give us that strength to, you know, if they could do it then, like I can do it now kind of thing. And I think that's the same with, I think it's that way with icons, but it's also the same with family. I mean, I've, I've talked a lot of, of with my family and relatives about their experiences working in workplace environments and mostly white uh, workplace environments. And just that whole conversation of, you know, how things can change and be better in some ways. But then a lot of times, you know, we're still having these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. No, we are. And it's so interesting, too. I think you, this book comes at a time, obviously, you know, Eric Garner was a wave. We were, that was part of a wave. I was also a Brooklynite during that time. I, I remember very well. Yeah. What that was like. And this book merges out of another wave that we've seen, obviously, mm-hmm. the past year. I'm, I know you started it well before that. But it is a wave in which we've also seen this kind of, uh, as you pointed out, this kind of renewed interest in, in I don't even want to say renewed, unprecedented almost yeah. interest yeah. In, in Black thought, in Black leadership. You know, we've seen this interesting wave happening in the publishing world. Yes. In particular, you know, and everybody's kind of applauding themselves and patting themselves mm-hmm. on the back for all of a sudden all these like, yep. <laughs> you know, imprints and amazing black leaders and the new, you know, black vanguard of publishing. Yep. Um, <laughs> as somebody who emerged from that world and is now working on the other side of that world as a writer, how does that strike you? 
It's so weird, to be completely honest with you. (laughs) (laughs) That is fair. (laughs) It is weird. It is surreal. And I, you know, I go back and forth, to be honest. Like, I feel, I feel really excited. And I feel like there's so much, there's so many good things that I'm hoping will come from this book. Just the conversations alone that I've been having now. And then when I was meeting with publishers, gosh, that was last year. It feels like four years ago. Um, in 2020. And this was before, right before the city, sh- before the world shut down, really. Um, those conversations have been really inspiring and make me feel really positive about it. So I'm really excited about, about this wave and this, this, um, this movement. I do feel like there's more coming, but I also, yeah, I mean, I, I do feel sometimes a little strange about it because you know, I'm, as I think any Black creative person, I think also feels a little strange about kind of that this story is very much about, you know, microaggressions and struggle. And I'm really excited that people, especially white readers, are really enjoying it and loving it. Um, I just really hope that it's more, it goes beyond the book, right? Like I, I want it to not just be here, but just keep going. Like, okay, so we have these conversations, but what can we actually do? And I think right now it's hard because we're not, or not me, but people aren't in the office still, I think, in the publishing world. And so, you know, I really hope that, I hope that this just keeps, keeps things going. I hope that we can actually talk about why it's important to have a diverse workplace and then actually do things to make the change. And it's hard. I think especially, I mean, I'm, again, I'm not in the world anymore, but it's, it's hard to get people on the same page, pun intended, unintended. I don't know. Um, about <laughs> even what needs to be done, especially the higher up you go. I think, I think that conversation is still, I think lost on people. Um, I mean, lost, I'm not sure how, but <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. Well, listen, willful, willful ignorant, ignorance <laughs> exactly. is a thing, excuse me. Yeah, exactly. that, that's, that's real. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we know what we want to know. Right, you know. right, right. So, I mean, so we'll see. That's, that's my long way of, of saying, you know, I'm, I'm, it's so strange. It's so meta in so many ways too. Um, but I'm yeah. really, again, I just, I feel so lucky and so excited that at least we can explicitly talk about what's going on in the book, what's happening in these industries, not just publishing, it goes to every single place in some way. And then also talk about the ending and how we could have made that not happen. <laughs> I'll just leave it at well, that. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, and we're, we're not going to spoil the ending for people because this is, this is definitely a book that's worth reading in full. But, you know, one of the things that definitely, um, you know, we use, I definitely think we overuse the word triggering, but there is something mm. here, I would say, that triggers a cellular memory in, yeah. in Black people. Like, yeah. I, I do hope that white people engage with this book, but I, I wonder if, if they'll get it. <laughs> You know what I mean? Because I do. This is you definitely. <laughs> I definitely felt like you know you you definitely wrote this in many ways for us, right? Oh. Like there's something here Thank that you. feels deeply intimate, deeply familiar, deeply visceral, and even deeply painful. Yeah. Um, yeah. At least to me, you know, it, it brought up a lot of dynamics that I have experienced, uh, both pleasant and deeply unpleasant. Yeah. That is intra-communal. You know, like that's not. 
has nothing to do with like the white folks. It's just like, right. oh, and here we are right. doing what we do when we are forced to work together with limited resources, with limited space, with limited opportunities. Yep. You know, you, you do bring up the phrase and you call it a cliche when you bring it up, but the whole crabs in a barrel thing mm-hmm. that we all grew up with, mm-hmm. you, you talk about how we have to be twice as good, like all those things that we grew up with that to me are as familiar and intimate as, you know, you just talking about your dad, by the way, my dad is exactly the same way <laughs> and gave me an a Swahili name that starts with an M too. So yes. I, you know, look, I get it. Get it. Totally. <laughs> I totally get it. <laughs> totally get that. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We have the yep, same dad. We, no yeah. problem. <laughs> they probably know each other. <laughs> but yeah, they probably do. You know, because even that part, even that part, that whole like the familiarity of people. Yeah. The um, you know, we joke about how in certain stratospheres, I've, I've made this joke to our producer where I'm like, oh, I'm probably sure that I know them. I'm sure if I go on Facebook, there's like a six degree yep. of separation <laughs> of black people. Like, you know, you always know somebody, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I guess I just wonder, like, what do you hope, feeling that you did write this for us? I mean, I do think that white people have a lot to get from this book. I think everybody has a lot to get from this book. And I think it's a great read, Thank even you. if you're not looking to get something from it. It's it's thoroughly entertaining. I can't wait to see how it translates to the screen. But what do you hope people take from this? What do you hope that they, you know, the, how do you hope we use this? Yeah. I mean, first I have to say that was my biggest hope was that Black readers, Black women especially would feel seen by this book. Because again, I've said this, but a lot of my my youth was me worrying that I wasn't matching, you know, the, the ideal blackness, what, what that other black people were expecting from me. You don't sound black on the phone. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Why are you, exactly. Like, why are you saying things this way? Why do your words sound like that? Um, and so even while writing this book, I was like, I have such a specific experience and Nella has such a specific experience. Like, I just really hope that, um, other black women will, still feel seen by these references, by these hair conversations. All of those things were so important to me. So thank you like that. It <laughs> makes my day. But yeah, I mean, I wrote this book and I, I my hope is that it, it works on a lot of different levels. I know that, you know, there's the summer read kind of angle. I, I do want it to be entertaining for people. I want people to feel thrust into this wacky, bizarre, kind of culty world of publishing. But I do hope it, I really just want it to make readers think twice and like really think. I mean, I have had so many amazing conversations with white readers who have told me I didn't know what code switching was. I'd never heard of it. I didn't know about, I know. Oh, they just thought we were like that. I know. I mean, it's, it's, (laughs) it's so funny. And I, I think this person knew kind of understood what it was but like the the phrase and and I realized like doesn't that speak to the privilege of not having to though right exactly not having to develop a whole other language or a whole other culture or a whole other anything to assimilate so to speak right exactly and and the fact that I've gotten that from quite a few different white readers is is fascinating to me but I mean it's also not surprising (laughs) um and so I I'm excited about the fact that with that with with 3C, 4C hair, the kitchen, all that stuff. I am so hopeful that people will be just Googling. Someone sent me, my friend sent me the um, John Oliver sketch on hair or his whole segment on last mm-hmm. week tonight, a couple weeks ago. On black hair, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Deep dive he took. 
um, might have been said, but which kudos to John Oliver for making that effort. I mean, and his and his, <laughs> and his team. Can yeah. you imagine? I know. I wish I could have been a fly on all of those walls. Um, yeah, what was that pitch yesterday, like in the writing <laughs> <90s> room? <laughs> But that the the part at the very end where Leslie Jones and a couple other black think comedians, I can't remember who they were, but they were just like, Google it. If you like, if you want to know, Google it. And that is something we've been doing forever, like with other other works, other classic literature, um, I use air quotes. <laughs> but so I, I'm hoping that this book will... It's not the only book that will help white people understand. And I don't even, I don't think there's one book that can do that. I don't want this book to just be like a here, like here are all our problems, read it. Like this will, you'll know everything and you can just talk to anybody about this now. Like, no, <laughs> this is just one step that I hope will encourage readers to think twice. Think about that thing that you said. Think about why you said that thing and how that thing might have actually made that person feel like what would Nella, how would Nella feel and respond internally to what you just said? <laughs> um, those kind of things, because I really do think in order to fix these bigger problems, problems with, you know, black people being murdered constantly by the police, by other people with no repercussions, all of these prejudices that everybody has, I think that you really have to look at a micro level and really look at people, see us, Black people, Black women, as individuals who all have feelings that are triggered. Um, you mentioned triggering. That's that's exactly it. Like all of these feelings that are triggered by things that are said that maybe you don't even realize are harmful, but actually are. So, so I really hope that, yeah, readers just think about that. And we are all individuals. We are not a monolith. Everybody in this book has a little messiness. Some are more messier than others. And we should be allowed to be that way. We're all different. Um, yeah, I love, I love, I love the idea of allowing us to be messy. It's, it's a personal goal of mine <laughs> to allow us to be messy. I, I, yeah. Yes. Um, and I, I love the mirror that you are holding up here, uh, both for us and for, uh, so-called mainstream culture, the publishing world, et cetera. Um, is there anything you are working on next? <laughs> oh, I mean, it's been a little a little wild with the uh, book one, but yeah. I am thinking about book two and that world uh, it still very much lives in my head right now, but will absolutely contain Black characters who are trying to figure out the world and themselves um, in America. So, so that's one thing. And then, yeah, I'm just working on the TV adaptation right now. So keeping busy. Which is amazing. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Well, congratulations Thank on all you. the success. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. You are an absolute pleasure. Uh, and this book too. is an absolute pleasure. As, as triggering as it was, it was an absolute pleasure to read. <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, I'm like, woo, you just hit me where I live. <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> Thank you. It has been so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. 
Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The Root Presents It's Lit is produced by myself, Maisha Kai, and Michaela Heck. Our sound engineer is Ryan Allen. Our theme song was penned by yours truly and producer Scott Jacoby. If you like the show and want to help us out, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. If you have any thoughts or feedback, you can find me on Twitter at Maisha. That's M-A-I-Y-S-H-A. And at Maisha Kai on Instagram. And before we go, we always like to talk a little bit about what we're currently reading. I'm currently reading Everyman by M. Shelley Connor, who, full disclosure, is a friend, <laughs> but also a much buzzed about author and academic who has written a really, really beautiful novel. Uh, and we're going to have M. Shelley on soon. I'm very excited to dissect this with her because, you know, you, you don't know your friends until you know them and you never know what's going on in their heads. And this is such a multi-layered really beautifully historically evocative piece so I'm, I'm really excited about it but for now that's it for this week thanks so much for listening and we will see you next week until then as always keep it lit <laughs>